The following audio is a sermon from the season of Advent. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Isaiah 2, 1-5 and Psalm 122. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills. And all the nations shall flow to it, and many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations, and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall, they, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come let us walk in the light of the Lord. Psalm 122. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was, dis- as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace, be th- peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord, our God, I will seek your good. The word of the Lord from Romans thirteen eleven through 14 and Matthew 24, 36 through 44. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on, that, on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
Good morning. Uh, a couple announcements here real quick. Um, Advent, the series that we're in right now in the season of, of the church calendar that we're in, we've set aside a couple books for you to walk, maybe have a daily devotion with the Lord, a daily devotion with your spouse, a daily devotion with your family. And we've bought two books. With Back at the back, we, we ran out last week. We sold out, but we bought... Uh, about 20 more copies this week. Uh, there's Jotham's Journey. It's a little storybook, Advent storybook for kids. So if you have kids, pick that one up. Uh, we're selling it for half the price, so I think it's five bucks. And then Counting the Days, Lighting the Candles, that's for uh, individuals and families. So pick those up at the bookstore on your way out. Um, we've got them. They're five bucks a piece. And then our graphics and um, uh, design guys also... Uh, we're pretty tech savvy around here. If you didn't know, you can find our, all of our liturgy and everything we do is on the Bible app on you version. Just click live event. It's right there. Uh, we have our own app in the app store. Uh, just search sacred city church. We, uh, we do a lot of tech stuff. Well, our graphics guys, uh, created some advent images and backgrounds for your iPhones and your iPads and what other, other, other tablet or gadgets you've got. And you can go to sacredcitychurch.com slash advent if you want to find those backgrounds for the advent season. Uh, and that's my only announcements. We do have huddle tonight for uh, missional community leaders. Uh, but other than that, I'm going to pray and we're going to jump into it this morning. Father, you are gracious to us. It's good to hear some of those cr- traditional Christmas, Christmas songs and actually be able to understand the words. And uh, see how theological they are, how much longing there is in those songs. Father, we do long for your coming. We long for the coming of your son, Jesus Christ, his second coming. We thank you that he, that we are not absent right now, that he, uh, we're not wet without the spirit of God, that you have sent your spirit to be with us because of the work of Jesus Christ. And he's with us this morning. I pray that you would enable us to study your word, that we would hear your words, that we would understand them, that people would be changed because of them. I ask that you would think through my mind, give me wisdom, give me insight, give me understanding, that you would um, enable the people to hear what you would have to say to them. I pray that you would be really near, Emmanuel, God with us, that you would be really near to us this morning. I pray all these things in your son's name. Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, again, welcome to Sacred City Church. This is Advent Sunday. What that means is it's the first Sunday of the season of Advent. Now, many of you have maybe never heard the word Advent. Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means arriving. And that Latin word Adventus is actually the trans. Uh, translation of the Greek word perusia, which is referred to as the second coming of Jesus Christ. So for Christians, the season of Advent anticipates the coming of Christ from two different perspectives. See, this season offers the opportunity for us to share in the ancient longing for the coming of the Messiah. Like the Old Testament is full of longing, that people were longing for the Messiah. They were longing for the one who would come to deliver his people. When we, read, when we sing these songs, and, and we, they have the word Israel in them a lot. A lot of us might just check out. Like what in the world does Israel have to do with, we're in America. We're saying Israel is the people of God. And because of faith and the work of Jesus Christ, 
we, people of faith, people who put our faith in Jesus Christ, have been grafted into this vine called Israel. So when we read the word Israel, it's talking about us, the people of faith, the people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. And so we kind of participate with these ancient Israelites, these ancient people of God in the Old Testament. We long, they were longing for the Messiah to come. Well, we, we kind of partner with them in their longing. But it's also to alert us for the second coming of Jesus Christ. So the Christian church has traditionally celebrated Advent, the four Sundays before Christmas, And each week we look at a piece of the work of Jesus and how it should affect those who believe in him. You see the the, the cross and the advent wreath here and the candles. Traditionally, we light a new candle every week. And these candles represent something that Jesus' life and death provides for believers. The candles represent hope, love, joy, and peace. So each week we will light a new candle and then on Christmas Eve, we light the white candle. It's actually, you can tell it's, it's a little it's struggling over there because we've been, we've been, uh, we, we get a new one on Christmas Eve every year. So that candle is about this long. We burned it all year long. It's burnt down. And then we've replaced that on Christmas Eve every single year. And that is the Christ candle representing Jesus, the light of the world coming into the world. And I know there's uh, many of you who have probably never celebrated Advent. We never celebrated Advent as a, as a child. You might think it's some kind of like just man-made tradition that just needs to be thrown away. Well, if that's you, I really think you do yourself and you do your family a disservice. See, this is a tradition that is meant to focus us in on the life and the work of Jesus. And it can be deeply meaningful to you, to your family, to your soul, to the, the health of your family if you really put the effort into it. See, I'm a guy who loves tradition. I love creating family traditions. I love going out and getting a real Christmas tree, cutting it down, getting the, you know, hot apple cider while we're out there, making a big family tradition out of it. I love creating these special times. I remember these times as a kid. I remember me and my brothers fighting over which Christmas tree uh, we should choose and then tackling the little Christmas trees in the Christmas tree farm. It was a great time for us, right? Running, grabbing them, riding them to the ground. I still remember that. I remember the whole family going to do this as a tradition. I remember getting it back and, and we would get two Christmas trees because the one downstairs, we could put all of our stuff that we made on it. It was the tackiest Christmas tree of all, right? Everything the kids made, those hideous ornaments. And then mama got the one upstairs, right? Mama got the one upstairs and it was all fancy and all that stuff. Christmas traditions are good for the family, right? It's, it's good for our soul, Actually, I think traditions have a way of actually shaping our souls. They're like family liturgies that point our hearts in a certain direction and they kind of form us into a certain type of people. As a father, I think it's actually my responsibility to lead my family by, by creating these family traditions and shaping them around Jesus. Now, if we are not cognitively and purposefully shaping our traditions around Jesus, we will be shaping them around something else. And then that thing, whatever it is, will begin to shape our hearts and shape our kids into certain type of people. Okay? Many of you, I don't like traditions. Come on, you have a tradition no matter what. Maybe it's shaped around food. Maybe the tradition's shaped around family. Maybe the tradition's shaped around football. 
Now, listen. Everybody knew it was coming, didn't they? Everybody knew it was coming. Listen, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And I'll tell you what, even the best football team in the land can let us down from time to time, all right? So last night, you're lucky you got a sermon this morning at all. That's all I can tell you. Man, it's like, you better go downstairs and pray. And I was, standing, I was just standing there looking at the TV. The next show came on, I was still just standing there. Lord Jesus, come soon. So, yes, you still get a roll tied out of me, even though Alabama got beat by some flukish. Well, I can't go in there. Anyway, if, but, but listen, my heart, I'll be honest, my family gets shaped around football, gets shaped around specifically Alabama football. And guess what? You put your hope in Alabama football and even the great Nick Saban will let you down. Right? He is not a good savior. He is not a good redeemer. Okay? I, I told the guys in the back last night, I pre- last week I preached on God's sovereign hand and his sovereign plan. And obviously, God loves Auburn for some reason this year. I don't know. Two weeks in a row, miracle plays in the last second. Terrible. Absolutely terrible. But whatever. So, back to Jesus. <laughs> if we... If we don't shape our families around Jesus, by default, we're going to shape them around something else. Many of you are still recovering from your turkey hangover, right? Many of you are still recovering from your, uh, I don't even know what to call this, Black Thursday, Friday? Black Thursday, Friday? I mean, it was Black, it used to be Black Friday, now it's Black, now we got Thursday, Friday, right? Walmart destroying family traditions since 2013, right? Six o'clock on Thursday, the door's open. Guess what that's called? That's called, now listen, there's some of us out there who we can't, you know, maybe you can't afford it. You saw that TV or you saw that doll or whatever it was, and you're willing to risk life and limb for it, right? And you're really willing to go out and do it. Okay, maybe. But many of us, that's consumerism driving us. A, 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 a belief that I'm defined by what I can purchase and what I can buy, and it, I get this little high. Like, it's not about the... Eight, you know, the, the $40 vacuum that I get for $8. It's not really about the vacuum. It's about, I got it. And they didn't. It's like this little, um, euphoria, euphoric condition, this experience that you feel when you get the thing. I heard about the, all these people, they got teams of shoppers now. One goes in and gets the line. The other one, you know, brings a baseball bat, knocks guys over the head. The other one jumps over, grabs the thing, runs it out. Right? Crazy. Maybe your traditions are just around family. It's all about family. And that can be good sometimes, but then what happens when the family falls apart? What happens when a loved one is lost? See, if you build your hope on consumerism, you run out of money, you run out of hope. You build your hope on your family, you run out of family, you run out of hope. You build your life on football, Lord. Football teams lose. All right? Now, what, what, can I ask you, really, what are you building your hope on this Christmas season? Is it having that perfect table display and that perfect party so you can snap a picture, put it on Instagram, and impress all your followers? Is your hope built on your likes, your comments? Now, I think that nearly every Christmas movie that comes out this time of year that we all love is really built on... Uh, on this desire, this longing that we have for hope, love, joy, and peace. And almost every one of these stories that you watch, they're about someone losing, they call it the Christmas spirit, 
right? Losing the Christmas spirit and somehow they find redemption by the end of the movie. All right, Home Alone, Christmas Vacation, Elf. See, I'm only telling you the classics. It's a Wonderful Life, Christmas Carol. Aren't they all about restoring the true meaning of Christmas? But here's the truth. Though those are all great movies in their own way, they all stop short of really giving us the true meaning of Christmas. Right? Christmas is about more than goodwill and happy families and appreciating one another. In fact, there are some of you in here today who have had the worst year of your life and you just don't feel very Christmassy this year. Do you? So what's the answer? The answer is for you to really experience Advent. You need a new glimpse or a new awareness of Jesus' first and his promised second coming. And if you can get that, If you can get that, if you get that new glimpse, that new awareness, something deep inside of you will change and you, it will give you hope, joy, peace, and love that you are desperately needing to finish out this year. It could come with a new glimpse of Advent. But then there's also some of us, this has been probably the best year of our lives. Kids are healthy, business is good. We've believed the gospel. We've seen God do some great things in our marriages or in our lives. But can I ask you, as we're going into this Christmas season, are you anxious? Are you getting stressed out trying to figure out how to pay for all your Christmas shopping or put on that perfect party? I'll tell you, you need to experience Advent as well. You need to experience and see Jesus as your peace. If you knew Jesus as your peace, you would know that in your heart, And when you really believe it, you will experience this peace no matter what is going on around you. No matter how crazy and chaotic the season gets, you will have peace. Or I know that some of you are just angry. You're frustrated with some family member. You're not looking forward to spending time with them. They get on your last nerve, right? Let's just say it. That's a lack of love. He might be sitting next to him right now. They just got real uncomfortable, didn't they? You're welcome. That's called a lack of love. The Bible uses this real ugly word for that. Sin. And that means that you are forgetting how Jesus has brought you the love of God. What do you mean by that? See, Jesus is the incarnation. What does incarnation mean? That means he came and he put on flesh, that God put on flesh. He was incarnated with us. He was put on flesh. Jesus is the incarnation of the love of God. Love literally put on flesh and came and loved us to death. How can you be living in the light of the incarnation of love and be angry at the slow checkout lady? This is the season of that. This is the season of stepping up in line and you are betting your life that you got the fast lady. You're looking, you're measuring, you see who got right next to you. If he gets up there before you, mm, tell me that ain't the truth. And hey, there's a, there's a lot at stake here, especially if you've got kids. And the longer you stand in that aisle when you have kids, the more torturous it becomes. Can I have this? No. Can I have that? No. You get to this, they already stole it. Oh. (laughs) 
No matter how many times you tell them no, you look in the, in the rear view mirror and they suck it on the sucker. Oh, now I got to go back. Now, I do know that there's some of us in this room that are deeply discouraged. This season we don't look forward to. Maybe your family has fallen apart this year. You've had a really rough year physically, emotionally. Your health is breaking down. And you are really needing to experience joy in your life. And joy is a byproduct of this Advent season. Joy is a byproduct of Jesus coming. And guess what he does? When Jesus comes, Jesus came and he brought the gospel. What's gospel mean? Gospel, it means good news. Not good advice. Jesus didn't come and say, here's how to be saved. Go do it. That's good advice. Jesus brought good news. News is different than advice. Advice tells you how to be saved. News says, guess what? You're saved because I lived the life and I died the death and the Father has appointed you to eternal life. Now believe. And guess when we hear good news, joy follows. All of this comes from Jesus. See, believers in Jesus experience joy because the gospel is good news that brings great joy. The Bible says that all of us in this room, religious, not religious, doesn't matter your background, we were all born sinners. I had a friend say, I completely disagree with that. I said, that's fine. You can be ignorant. You don't have kids. Just wait. Just wait. I've never once had to teach my kid how to disobey me. Never once. They know how to disobey from jump. All right? First cry. My little sweet Piper, she knows exactly. If I squeal at this certain pitch, he'll give me whatever I want. Right? Especially in the store. Right? It don't matter. That pitch, ooh. It's daddy's pocketbook is open. Right? You hit that pitch, what do you want? I'll give it to you. Just stop doing that right now. (laughs) See, all of this comes from Jesus. The Bible says we were born children of wrath. We were born sinners. We were enemies of God at birth. I know they look sweet. I know they look sweet. But they are born children of wrath, enemies of God. But God sent Jesus to heal us and to reconcile us, to adopt us into the family of God. That's what God sent Jesus for. We didn't heal ourselves or reconcile ourselves. We were saved by God. We were rescued by Jesus. It was his work 100%. And that is what gives us right standing with God. And it's called grace. See, God makes lost sinners reconciled and joyful worshipers of Jesus. See, so the season of Advent and the tradition of Advent is actually meaningless without Jesus. And you can watch, I got got a little frustrated. I don't really care. I mean, I like to watch all kinds of different Christmas movies. But there's this, you know, this new little thing that you guys, some of you do, this little elf on the shelf thing. Where you lie to your kids and act like it talks and moves around and stuff. That's fine. Whatever. <clears throat> this little show on Elf on the Shelf. And the whole premise of... I watched the... You know, I was recording Grinch who stole Christmas or something. And it came on afterwards. So I was watching parts of it. And the whole thing is about the spirit of Christmas. But the men, there was no mention of Jesus. Like, where does the spirit of Christmas come from? It's the spirit of Christ. 
There's no reason to be happy, joyful, have peace, have love. There is no reason without Jesus. There is no reason. There is no purpose. Advent is about Jesus. So that's why we need to take a good, fresh look at Jesus during the season. We need to go back and look past. We need to look where he's come. We need to look back his first advent. We look forward to his second advent. That's why we read two sections of scripture during advent. We read two from the Old Testament. We read two from the New Testament. We are looking back and we're looking forward. When we read Isaiah 2 today, there were aspects of that prophecy. It says, Isaiah, written hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus, and he's saying, one day is coming when people will come to the mountain of God from all nations. Okay, we just studied the book of Acts, and we saw in Acts chapter 2, that happened. People from all different nations came in to the people of God, right? All different That actually happened. But then in Isaiah 2, there's all, so there's this first part of Isaiah 2 that's been accomplished, with this, the coming of Jesus and his ascension and sending the Holy Spirit, that's actually happened. But then the second part of Isaiah said this, people are going to beat their, um, uh, their swords into plowshares and their uh, weapons into pruning hooks, and there's going to be peace on earth. Has that happened? No, that hasn't happened. That when Jesus Christ comes the second time, he's going to make this earth completely peaceful. No more violence. So in Isaiah 2, we see this prophecy that half of it's been fulfilled and half of it's going to be fulfilled in the second coming. See, Jesus' first coming accomplished the first part. His second coming is going to accomplish the second part. Now listen, this is where we're going to get a little heavy. This is what theologians call the already but not yet of God's kingdom. The already but not yet of God's kingdom. We live between the times of Jesus' first and second coming, and that creates a tension between the already and not yet. Has Jesus come? Yes. Has he started his kingdom? Yes. Has he brought peace to the earth and completely consummated his kingdom? No. He does that on his second coming. So, Jesus says, come once, but he promises us, we saw in Matthew 24, Jesus says, I'm coming again, therefore what? You better be ready. Uh Uh-oh, that's where we get nervous. Get ready, Jesus is coming. What does that mean? Should we start building bunkers and stockpiling toilet paper? What's that mean? Get ready, Jesus is coming. Well, I think Paul does a pretty good job of explaining that. What does it mean to be ready? How do we live ready? Jesus is basically telling us to, how to live in light of his advents, in light of his first coming and his promised second coming. He's saying that you should live in light of these advents and that should shape the way you live in the here and now. And Paul, this is where we're going we're gonna to really dig into this text here in um, Romans 13. I think he shows us specifically what that looks like. So if you've got your Bible... Open up to Romans 13. If you got your app, open your app. We're going to walk we're going to walk through this together. We preach typically verse by verse through books of the Bible, but advent we take a, a little time out. First of the year we'll be jumping in the book of 1 Corinthians, we'll be going verse by verse all the way through that. So we're at Romans 13 verse 11. When you're there, stay there. Okay, here we go. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now 
than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual morality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Now, this is kind of, this is what many people miss this time of year. Many people kind of come back to church during Advent and during Easter, and they just want a little bit of, of Jesus. Uh, they often say, yeah, yeah, I'm a believer of Jesus. I, I believe he came. I believe he died. But their faith doesn't really impact the everyday instances of their life. They think of their faith as a one-time decision at camp or when I was growing up or that one Easter Sunday where I said, yes, I believe in Jesus. They think of it as a one-time decision that basically changes where they're going to spend eternity, but they don't allow that faith to get down into the crevices of their real life. I think our culture has created this type of Christian too. That being a Christian, going to church is about eternity and not about the here and now. Not about everyday life. It's about just, I don't want to go to hell. Right? But Paul is saying right here that the time has come for you to wake up from your slumber, to wake up from your sleep. That salvation is bigger than just eternal security. That there's something more to it. That your faith, if it's real, if you really possess a living faith, that it should impact the day-to-day decisions, your emotions, your aspirations, your traditions. It should affect every aspect of your life. If I could be a fly on the wall in your house, would I say, this house is built on the foundation of Jesus Christ? I want you to look at verse 11. Besides this, you know the time that the hours come for you to wake from sleep. I'm praying that people wake from sleep today. For salvation, this is a weird term. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Now, many people in this room, when you hear salvation, you think, I'm going to use a big term, theological term. You think justification. Okay? Salvation, justification. What is justification? Justification. Jesus Christ lived a perfect life. He died a substitutionary death on the cross. And therefore, by putting our faith in him, we are justified. We are made right with God in that one instance. Justification, just as if I have never sinned. I'm made right with God in that moment. Many of us have a small view of salvation. And when we hear the word salvation, we think, oh, I'm justified. I'm made right with Jesus. Eternity is secure because of Jesus Christ. Great. Awesome. But Paul has a bigger view of salvation than we do most of the time. Paul's saying, when you first believed, you were saved, but salvation is nearer to you now than when you first believed. What the heck does that mean? Okay, I'm going to kind of pull out here and expand and show you what this term salvation actually means. That there's aspects to redemption. There's aspects to the work that Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. I'm going to use three big terms, but I'm going to define them for you. Number one, justification. I just did it. 
When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are instantly cleansed from all your sin, past, present, and future. You are made right with God. He looks at you. You're adopted into the family. You receive the joy and the grace and the mercy that that Jesus deserves. You get it. Miracle justification. Okay? But then there's this other aspect that's called glorification. Justification is the beginning. Glorification is the end. That Jesus Christ is making us like himself. That in the new heavens and the new earth, when Jesus Christ comes back the second time, he's going to renew this whole earth. All aspects, all um, taint of sin is going to be renewed or is going to be removed. Everything marring creation will be new. The sin in our bodies will be gone. We will be glorified in the new heavens and the new earth. No remnants of sin. No remnants of pain. No remnants of broken families or turmoil or hurt. None of that. All of it will be gone. That's called glorification. When Christ comes back, he makes us like himself. He glorifies us. We get new. Listen, Dr. Alex invited me to play some flag football. Yesterday, we played in the turkey bowl. I got stuff sore today I didn't know I had. Okay? My body is... I'm probably, I was probably one of the oldest guys on the field. I didn't let nobody know that. But I was doing the math today. And I'm feeling it. My hip flexors. Listen, my body is breaking down. Your body is breaking down. And one of the most beautiful aspects of redemption is that when I go to heaven... And I get this earth, get this new created earth. I'm not coming back as some floating spirit. I'm not coming back as some ethereal mist. And some, you know, I'm going to be one with the consciousness of all things or whatever. I'm coming back with a new created body, a redeemed body, a physical body without decay. That's not going to, I'm going to run, I'm going to play football, I'm going to do whatever I can do. And I'm not going to wake up sore the next day. Right? This is coming in glorification. And that's an aspect, I'm going to tell you, listen, that's an aspect of our salvation. He made us right with the Father, justification. He's going to glorify our bodies. Glorification is coming. The, the ways that you struggle with sin, they will be gone. The way you struggle loving those that are closest to you, all those struggles will be gone. The walls of separation and hostility between races and all of that will be gone in the new creation. We will be perfectly glorified. So we have in salvation, this one term in salvation, we have justification involved in that term. We have glorification involved in that term. Justification, we see Jesus in his first advent. Glorification, Jesus coming in his second advent. This is a past And then there's this middle term. So that's past and future. But where do we live right now? I said earlier that we live between the times. We live in the already and not yet. And that theological term is called, I hear it, sanctification. We got justification, we got glorification. Sanctification means right now I am both sinful and sanctified, saved, made right with God. That when Jesus Christ saves me, he gives me a new nature. He breathes his spirit into me. He takes out my heart of stone. He puts in a heart of flesh. He pours the love of the Father in me. That I'm a completely new creation inside. But guess what? I still struggle with this thing called the flesh. This text calls it the works of darkness. 
So in my flesh right now, there's a battle going on. This text shows that there's a battle going on. Paul specifically says, put on the armor of light. What do you need armor for? You need armor for battle. That there's a war going on for my heart. There's a war going on for my affections. A battle between the flesh and the spirit. A battle between light and darkness. And he's saying that we need to wake up to, listen to this. We need to wake up to our salvation. What the heck does that mean? That there is a past, present, future aspect to our salvation. So what Paul is saying here is, listen, and I'm going to say this, this is what we need to hear this morning. See, we don't come to church to get some little feeling that makes us feel better about ourselves than we go on through the week. This isn't a gas station that you come to and you get filled up for the week. We need to experience our salvation. We need to have a new vision on the advent, advents of Jesus. See, Paul is saying right here, you're saved. But you aren't experiencing the fullness of your salvation. You were justified in the past. Praise God. But how is that affecting your day-to-day life? Praise God you've been made right with God. But how is that getting in the nooks and crannies of your everyday living? Are you daily, Paul says, casting off the works of darkness and putting on the armor of light? Really, are you doing that? Like that's something we do. See, if you have a a justification only aspect to your salvation, then why the heck read the Bible? Why pray? Why go to church? Why be involved in community at all? If you shrink salvation down to justification, all you need is Jesus Christ. If you shrink it down, that's all you need. But you can't do that. You can't segment it off. Salvation is more inclusive than just justification. You've got sanctification and future glorification. Well, Justin, what the heck does that mean to cast off the works of the flesh and to put on the armor of light? Here comes the moralism. Are you going to beat, you know, browbeat me right now? Oh, I'm such a bad sinner and I just need to try harder and do better. Well, first off, let's just get a good, I mean, I think we've read it already, but look at verse 13. You know, so, again, my friend, he, he's an atheist and he's telling me just how, you know, 2,000 year old book, actually two to 5,000 year old book talking about the Bible. It's just so ancient. It's so outdated. We've, we've evolved from that. Our minds have evolved. We don't need that anymore. And when I read a a text like this, I I just, I almost giggle. Look, Look at verse 13. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness. Yeah, yeah, that, that doesn't happen anymore. Uh, Not in sexual morality and sensuality. No, we haven't evolved past that. Not in quarreling and jealousy. Right? When the spirit of light comes, it shines light on all that junk. And I think that all that junk is probably in your family right now. I think that stuff is probably happening in your day-to-day, everyday life. And that Christian, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. If we're experiencing the fullness of our salvation, it's not, it's not there. 
But what is Paul's prescription? You take, look at that, just quarreling and jealousy. There goes your Christmas. I remember when I was a kid and all the, you know, all the, there was a bunch of girls, all my, my nieces and nephews and sister, and they all had to get the same doll. Why? Because if one had brown hair and the other had blonde, they both, they would fight over them. I wanted the one with black hair. I wanted the one with, right? And are you appeasing that right now? Are you thinking through that? Like jealousy, quarreling, it's just a part of who we are. It's a part of, even a part of our family tradition. Many of it's a part of our Christmas and Thanksgiving. We sit down and we just bicker and we get after it. And he's saying, cast that off. That's a work of the flesh. Have nothing to do with that. Well, Justin, how did the heck, how am I supposed to cast that off? What is, stop doing that. Watch a wonderful life again. Right? That'll get you in the spirit. Go buy, go buy something. You feel bad? You feel weak? Go buy something. Get on Amazon. No. Listen to this. Paul gives the easiest, most simple prescription for us. And I love it. I love scripture. Paul says that believers in Jesus who are struggling with the works of darkness, which we all are, We need to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is important. He's not saying you need to be saved. They already are. He already said when you first believed, they've already, we've already established they've been justified already. They're justified Christians who are living in the flesh. And Paul's saying, put off the flesh, put on the Lord Jesus Now, justification has already happened. That's past. They've already been made right with God. They've already received past grace to cover their sin. We saw that verse 11 when they first believed. So what does Paul mean by putting on the Lord Jesus Christ? How? What does this mean? Paul is saying, and I think if you're a Christian, hopefully this resonates with you. Paul is saying that the light has come into the world but darkness still lingers. That we have been justified, but there still remains a battle to fight, right? He says we need to be clothed with the armor of light and that insinuates that there's a battle going on, the battle of sanctification. And here's the battle. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are completely and 100% made right before God. He pours the love of God into your dead heart, gives you a new nature. The Bible says you are completely new, but that old you sticks around. The Bible calls it the flesh. And when Jesus comes back, that glorified, that our flesh gets glorified. The darkness in our hearts will be removed totally and completely. God will give us totally renewed and redeemed, glorified bodies, and we're going to be like Jesus. But right now we live in between the times. Jesus has justified us. He will glorify us. But now he is sanctifying us. And that is a violent and bloody battle that takes place in our hearts every minute of every day. Am I right now in this minute going to look to Jesus for my justification, for my sanctification, for my hope, for my love, for my peace? Or am I going to look to something else? That's the battle that's going on. 
Why was I so upset last night? My hope was found in a football team. I'm just dreading. I got to get up on stage. Everybody knows. I'm getting texts. People don't give me grace. Listen, it's vitally important for us to understand the nature of this battle of sanctification. We've got to see specifically what does it look like? What does it mean to put on the Lord Jesus? What has Jesus done for us so that we know how to fight correctly? Paul does not say, try harder, do better, obey the rules, and you'll make me happy. You want to be on my team? Here's what you do. Paul doesn't say that. Listen, this is key. Sanctification, this battle we're in, is not a fight for God's approval. It's not a fight for God's acceptance. It's not a fight for God's love. It's not a fight to even be on his team. Paul says we fight by putting on Jesus. What does that mean? We remember that Jesus is our justification. And we look to Jesus in his second advent is our glorification. And we fight in the here and now between these two advents. We fight by putting on Jesus, by putting on that. He is my justification. He's what made me right. He is my glorification. He's the one who's going to fix everything. Guess what? He is also my sanctification. Even in my struggle, Jesus is all I need. We look back, past grace. We look forward, that's future grace. I'm a, in one sense, we have everything we need for life and godliness. God has given us that. But there's also, there's something else coming. There's more coming. There's future grace coming to us that's going to renew us and redeem us. This is what's so beautiful about a sovereign God who saves people by his own power. That he is the author and the finisher of our faith. And he's also the sustainer of our faith. He is present with us. He gives us grace right now when we need it. In, time, in perfect time, right when we need it, he gives us present grace. He's the one who justified us. He's the one who glorified us. And he's the one who is sanctifying us right now. When we look back to Jesus, he shows us that our sin has been dealt with. Now, some of you will get this, some of you won't. Um, this book, everybody's heard of Harry Potter. But in this book, this guy, this guy named Dumbledore, he drinks this poison. And he gets, and he basically he's dead, but he's walking around. Nobody knows it yet. The effects haven't came out. The effects haven't shown themselves in his body, but he's going to die. Death is certain for him. Okay. That's the only illustration that I could come up with for our future glorification. Listen, Jesus first advent completely secured for us our glorification. He drank the poison. He's dead. It's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. It's going to happen. Years later, it could be. It's going to happen. Glorification is going to happen. 
Why? Because his first advent secured, for, secured it for us. How do we know he's going to fix everything? How, is he, how do we know he's going to glorify everything? Because he came the first time and justified us. It's, 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 our glorification is as secure as Jesus' first coming. See, we struggle with the flesh and the deeds of darkness, and we need to fight. We can't give up, but our ultimate battle has already been won by Jesus, and he's completing the work that he started in us. And as I close today, listen, when you see that, I think this is the biggest struggle for Christians today, that they don't know how to reconcile being justified with God and struggling with sin in the present. They constantly think, I screwed up again, he's going to reject me. I screwed up again, I feel distant from him. And then they don't understand what's the point of spiritual disciplines, what's the point of prayer, what's the point of community, what's the point of reading my Bible. If I've already been made right with God, what's the point? Listen, the point is, I'm going to just say it like this, your happiness. But this is what you don't know. Your happiness and your holiness are inextricably connected. They're linked. If you're holy, you're happy. See, Jesus is never sad anymore. God is never upset. Or ne- I'm sorry, upset. He's never... He's always happy. There we go. He's always happy. Why? Because he's holy. And our holiness and our happiness go together. And when you see that... When you see that your past justification and your future glorification has nothing to do with you. When that drops in your heart, it frees you to fight the fight of sanctification without any fear. It fills you with this tremendous hope for the future. That if I fail a battle today, Jesus isn't rejecting me. He's still at work. He's still glorifying me. He's still making all things new. See, fighting begins then to take on a whole new meaning for you. Yeah, it's tough. It's exhausting. Some of you thought that by becoming a Christian, your life was going to get a lot better. And you wouldn't sin nearly as much as you used to. And you're finding out that it's exactly the opposite. I literally, when I first became a Christian, told a guy that like in a few years, I probably won't sin anymore. I literally said it when I was 17, so give me some slack. But uh, what, well, you know, what, the list of sins for me were the biggies, right? The biggies, right? Don't smoke, don't chew, don't hang out with those who do, that kind of stuff. Like those are the big ones, right? So I'm like, oh, I got this. I can do that. Listen to this quote by theologian A.W. Pink. In God's light, we see light. The more the Holy Spirit reveals to me the high claims of God's holiness, the more I discover how far short I come of meeting them. Let the midday sun shine into a darkened room. And dust and dirt, which before were invisible, are now plainly seen. So with the Christian. The more the light of God enters his heart, the more he discovers the spiritual filth which dwells there. Beloved brother or sister, it is not that you are becoming more sinful, but that God is now giving you a clearer and fuller sight of your sinfulness. 
Praise him for it. For the eyes of the vast majority of your fellows, religionists including, are blind and cannot see what so distresses you. As the light of God shines in our heart, we actually get to see more and more and more of our own sinfulness. But as we fight this fight of sanctification, this battle of, of our justification and our sinfulness, our simul- we're simultaneously sinner and saint at the same time. It's critical, listen, that we are not fighting to be justified. We're not fighting to be cleansed. We're not fighting to be accepted. We're not fighting to be made right before God. No, this is a fight of sanctification. We've already been made right. We are fighting, listen, from a position of justification. We have been made right with God, so now I can fight. We have been accepted. We have been cleansed. We have been given past grace. So we can fight for holiness without any fear that we're going to let God down and our failures are going to cause him to reject us. He will never reject us. He cannot reject us. And God would have to reject his son in order to reject us. Because when he looks at us through faith, he sees the work of Jesus Christ. And... So that's past. And we have this promise of future grace that's coming. Jesus is going to glorify us. He's going to completely remove any trace of sin from us. He's going to do that because he's gracious and he's good. So our fight for holiness in the here and now isn't to get right with God. And it's not to reach some state of sinless perfection. That's not going to happen on this earth until Christ's second advent. Listen, that should free us. If, if Jesus is our justification and Jesus is our glorification, what it means is God is not out for your white-knuckled obedience. Jesus is, Jesus is your justification. Jesus is your glorification. You're not, you're not doing that on your own. You're not doing any of that stuff. He did it all. So it, it's not like, oh, I need to obey God. I, oh, he really wants me to be good. And it's this white-knuckled, boring, starched Christianity. That's not what he wants. He wants your joy. He wants your heart. That your holiness is your happiness. Oh my goodness. When you get this, when it drops, it frees you. Go home, have a beer. Thank Jesus. He's your justification and he's your glorification. Now, and see, as we leave here today, you got to see that your struggle with sin, it's nothing new. It's nothing new and it's sanctification. It's part of the process. But your, your glorification is secure. It's as secure as your, your justification was. It's called the perseverance of the saints. That God is going to get you where you're going. You're not going to fail. Your faith isn't going to fail. You're never going to be rejected. He is your sustainer. He's the one who's guaranteeing you that you're going to be glorified. So I want to... As we struggle during this season, as we struggle to keep Jesus as the center of our advent, as the center of our season, as we struggle with the sin that wants to pull us away from that, I want us to remember that we are so bad that Jesus had to come and die for us. But we are so loved that Jesus is cleansing us completely 
to dwell with him in new heavens and new earth. And our future is just as certain as our past. Jesus Christ came. It's fact. It's history. The God-man, the God became man. It's a fact. His second coming will be fact. It's going to happen. And we're fighting a fight right now that the outcome is already determined. It's a fight. It's going to take all we got, but we can't lose. Jesus has conquered. He is our salvation from beginning to end. And that's what it means to put him on. So I'm just going to encourage you, listen. We need to daily dose ourselves in the gospel. We need to daily put on Jesus Christ. That's what it means. Remember, hey, my justification has nothing to do with me. It's all Jesus. My glorification has nothing to do with me. It's all Jesus. My sanctification, this is the battle. I get to fight, but Jesus is doing it all. This is why we read our Bible. This is why we pray. This is why we're in community. It's not to be accepted. You've already been accepted. It's to be holy, and that's happy. So I want you, if you don't read your Bible every day, take the next, take this month. This is December 1st. Take this month. Put it in your calendar. Set aside some time. You have to make time for it. Set your alarm 15 minutes early. Wake up. Listen, we have no reason not to be in our Bible. Okay? The Bible is in every form imaginable. You can wake up. You can click you version. You, your eyes don't even have to be open. You hit play. It will read to you. <laughs> this is not hard. Can you imagine back in the day, you had to read Latin. You had to go to the, you had to go to the church and have a priest interpret it for you. One book in a whole town. Now we have it on our phone. I think my kid has like 18 Bibles. Right? It's not... It's there. It's everywhere. I'm I'm telling you, make it, make this season, build this season around Jesus. Put it in your calendar. Put it in your calendar. Doesn't have to be anything fancy. Get the Advent devotional. Read together with your family. It could be five minutes. Don't like have this thing like, we're going to do this hour long family worship. All my kids are going to get saved. Their neighbors are going to come over. Right? It's going to be this whole Billy Graham crusade. No, it's going to be three minutes while the kids are throwing rolls at each other. Okay? That's reality. It's fine. But build it around Jesus. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your grace to us. I thank you for the past grace of justification. I thank you for the future grace of glorification. I thank you for the present grace that you are, make, you are sanctifying us. You are making us more and more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. You are doing it, not our own efforts. You are doing it. So I pray that as we come to the Lord's table, that we would remember and we would put on the Lord Jesus. We would remember Jesus during this Advent season. You are our salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.